You might not have put two and two together or realize that this podcast, it's actually produced by a nonprofit, listener-supported Wyoming Public Media. We're just a little old station housed in a basement on the beautiful University of Wyoming campus. We aren't getting paid big bucks as a for-profit business. No siree, we're making this podcast not for money, but because everyone on our team believes in what we do, telling the missing stories of the real American West. But that means we rely on people like you. If you make sure to download every episode as soon as it comes out, or have been telling all your friends what a big Modern West fan you are, or would be seriously bummed if we disappeared from your feed, If all that describes you, I wonder if you'd take a quick minute to do something for me. Get into your browser and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. Imagine those great individualists of the late 19th century. They muster their courage to leave behind everything, sail across an ocean to America, buy themselves a set of oxen and a prairie schooner, load it up with provisions and embark westward into the setting sun. And when they lay eyes on the Rocky Mountains, what's the very first thing that they start looking for? Not gold, not plentiful grass, Nope. Water. That's what rancher Alan Kirkbride's ancestors did when they came here from Yorkshire, England in 1889. They homesteaded on flowing water on Horse Creek on the plains of the newly minted state of Wyoming. Water melted from snow off the nearby Laramie Range. Crisp, clean water. Nothing like the polluted water back home. Those early settlers, man, they loved mountain waters. My great-great-uncle, who was in the next place, he used to drink out of the creek. Everybody drank. This, people, really? this was a drinking water. You know. yeah. And he said, the best little creek there is. It didn't matter that lots of tribal nations were already relying on this water. It wasn't long before all the land with flowing water was claimed. Indigenous people were relegated to reservations on the driest part of the country. And it wasn't just pioneer families snatching up all the well-watered homesteads. Often it was speculators and big cattle companies. After a while, all that was left was arid land. Almost as soon as Europeans arrived, the water disputes began. Anne McKinnon is the author of the book Public Waters, Lessons from Wyoming for the American West. Anne's a Wyoming icon a journalist who's been covering water issues here for decades. Back then, she says the rule in the West was first in time, first in right. Of course, it overlooked that tribes were the ones actually first in time. But Anne says those early settlers only saw it from their own point of view. Whoever got their hands on gold first or land first or water first, you know, they ought to have the best rights to it because, by God, it was a big effort to get there and there's blood, sweat, and tears and all that stuff. And in Wyoming, you know, for a while, you could post a notice on a tree next to the creek to say that you claimed some of this water. Eventually, a scribbled note nailed onto a tree stopped feeling official enough. Maybe you've heard that old adage, whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting. 
yeah, well, it was a real thing. And over the generations, it's continued to be a thing. Alan Kirkbride inherited that homestead on Horse Creek and loved ranching along it. But he says the water wars his ancestors witnessed, they're nothing compared to what's coming. We talk about people fighting over water, that they've been doing it for 100 years. Well, we see the future is very possible. Continual difficulties between different users. It's in our future, I guess. And for Alan and his neighbors, that future has arrived. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, this is The Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. Southeast Wyoming is flat, thirsty country. Yellow prairie as far as the eye can see. That is, until I arrived at Alan Kirkbride's ranch. I drove down a bluff to his house among the flowering trees and evergreens. Here, it was a lush oasis, thanks to the creek flowing through. As soon as I got there, Alan took me out on his ATV to see where this creek originates as groundwater seeping out of the ground. Like other ranchers we've met, Alan's a rancher who's been thinking a lot about how to help slow the climate crisis. So you see this little creek right here? This, yeah. Those are all cattails. Okay. And uh, cattails are one of the best carbon sinks going. They're great. Wetlands are great carbon sinks. The cattails grow along a curve in some fascinating white cliffs. We followed the spring to where it flowed into Horse Creek. Now, you, know, you see these are... Coyote willows here, aren't they? And uh, taller trees then, you've got river willows, uh, all those down by my house on Sprager. And then you've got some box elders that are taller. All pretty much natives, all those guys. Here, the stream goes wide and flat thanks to beaver dams that slow down the water flow, creating even more wetlands. Allen said, Horse Creek is the last remaining free-flowing stream in Laramie County. Groundwater drilling has dried up all the rest, but now he's afraid even Horse Creek's days are numbered. A local ranching family, the Lurwicks, want to drill a bunch of enormous wells that would use vast amounts of water below this landscape. It's terrible timing from Alan's point of view. Right now, climate change is causing the American West to experience what's being called a mega drought, the worst water shortage in 1,200 years. The Ogallala Aquifer that feeds Horse Creek is a huge underground water source supplying eight states. It's immense, an underground sea that stretches from Oklahoma and Texas north across the Great Plains to the Rocky Mountains. And it's those states that are the country's breadbasket. They use all that water to grow a fifth of the nation's crops. It may seem safely stored away for the future, But Alan and some of his more environmentally-minded neighbors are finding out that water is disappearing fast. Look what's happened on the South Plains, West Texas all the way up. It's been the same story. Water table goes down, creeks go dry. So taking a hint from what's happened in the South and Central Plains, why obviously it's going to happen here. Alan said the Lurwick family saw an opportunity to make money in the short term but he and his ranching neighbors want to see Horse Creek keep flowing forever. Alan said there was no hero coming out of the woodwork to save them. If they wanted to stop those wells from getting drilled, 
they were going to have to do it themselves. So Alan and 17 other neighbors decided to hire a water attorney from among their own ranks, Reba Epler. It's wintertime a few months later, and I'm headed up to see the headwaters of one of the creeks that weren't so lucky. Reba's driving a terrifying snow-packed highway up into the Laramie Range. It rises up out of the high plains in southeastern Wyoming, a long, shaggy ridge covered in ancient limber pines and fascinating rock formations. It's the birthplace of Lodgepole Creek that supplies the capital city Cheyenne with some of its water. Reba's family has been bringing cattle to graze in the national forest on these mountain meadows for generations. She remembers growing up on these creeks. Like little old Lodgepole Creek used to have pretty good flow in it. And when I was a kid, we'd always go, there used to be like turtle migrations across the road. You'd have to stop and move them across or catch them and put them in a tank and feed them ground beef for a while. And then when you get, when it's time to put them back in the creek, whatever. But there used to be like, amphibians and turtles and reptiles down there. Lodgepole Creek used to be the longest creek in the U.S., but now it's dried up in several areas due to groundwater pumping. Reba parks her car, and we get out and tromp across the snow to see the creek. Creeks. This time of year, it's frozen. Reba studied hydrology, so I ask her how healthy this draw looks to her. Well, obviously, you've got willows, and that is such a good thing. Um, willows and beavers go together. Beavers are such a such an important part of the creeks. Um, well, I mean, look how the water, or look how the snow drifts in the creeks yeah. and in the willows, and you just have stored hydration, and down here there's a meadow. For Reba, thinking about the health of the land is kind of a family tradition. A decade ago, when the Colorado butterfly plant started sliding toward extinction, her parents worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and agreed to reduce grazing along the creek to help save the plant. We started out like one plant or maybe zero plants of that Colorado butterfly plant, and and over the course of the 10-year period of being in that, I think we were up to 500 last count. And so it's a place where there's that plant is proliferating, and then the the, gra- the Creek comes up, it'll distribute those seeds. So it really is a wonderful, you know, contribution to that plant. They've worked hard to protect this landscape. That's why it came as such a big shock when her dad found out what another ranching family had done. My dad noticed those ads in the paper because they have to notice those. And he, he was like, this is crazy, eight wells. The Lurwick family had applied to drill eight high-capacity water wells into the Ogallala Aquifer under southeast Wyoming. They said they needed it to irrigate their crops, but the amount of water they were asking for was enough to cover 4,700 acres with a foot of water, one and a half billion gallons. And that's enough to water 13,000 people a year and their lawns. After they heard about the well applications, Reba's dad and some of the neighbors knew what this could mean for the creeks and springs and wells that they relied on. They'd heard about places in other states where the Ogallala Aquifer had been drained down. Look what's happened in western Kansas and eastern New Mexico. Those towns are, they're like on the brink of 
having to just move because they've taken all their groundwater. We, that could happen here very easily. In southern Kansas, it's so bad that groundwater has dropped 150 feet, forcing ranchers to abandon their wells altogether. Rebo agreed to represent the 17 ranchers to fight the application to drill the eight wells. They especially wanted to try to save the creek that was still flowing, Horse Creek, that I visited with Alan. In court, Reba made her case to a committee whose job was to oversee water decisions for the region. I assert to you that this creek, this stretch of the creek, is the last running creek in Laramie County. The rest of the creeks have been harmed so detrimentally that they have passed their ecological threshold. In the courtroom, Reba didn't let the formality of the setting stop her from expressing her passion for this place and its waters. And I would like to point out, these are some of the oldest surface water rights in the state of Wyoming, some of the oldest ranches, some of the most magnificent places you have ever seen that stand to be lost. And it makes me almost cry because I've seen them and I have been on them and I know what will be lost Jim Pike made a very similar case to the state of Wyoming a dozen years ago when bad droughts started heating up. Jim is the retired district conservationist for Laramie County, where Reba and all her clients ranch. Back in 2010, Jim noticed monitors were showing the aquifer drawing down way too fast. He knew that could dry up creeks and wells in no time. So Jim partnered with a state lawmaker to apply for some funding through the Farm Bill to adopt a program that paid ranchers to quit irrigating so much with their center pivots. That's those big sprinkler systems on wheels. And it encouraged the state to stop issuing permits for new high-capacity wells. Jim's program was wildly successful. You know, everybody was on board, and so after we, in about four years, we reduced annual pumping by a billion gallons of water annually. And uh, so I was surprised when the uh, state engineer then issued an order to allow for some high-capacity wells to for people to apply for it, probably in response to some of the larger oil companies that had moved into Laramie County and needed water needed water for their fracking process and drilling for natural gas. This all raises an uncomfortably squishy question. Was the Lurwick family applying for these permits so that they could irrigate crops, as they said, or so that they could sell the water to energy companies? Because if so, there's a word for that. Speculation. Saying you need water for one thing and then hoarding it to use for something else. I reached out to the Lurwicks and their lawyer, but they declined to comment. But in court, the Lurwicks insisted the water was for crops. Here's our lawyer, William Heiser. The proposed use in this situation is irrigation. That's what we're asking for in this situation. To say that irrigation is not a beneficial use, I think flies in the face of the statute. But when a member of the Lurwick family was pressed in court on whether he would transfer the use of the water from irrigation to oil and gas development, he said, quote, possibly but not likely. That word possibly set his neighbor's teeth on edge. Speculation isn't technically illegal in Wyoming, but Reba argues it's basically illegal since courts have punished it over and over again throughout state history. There is case law in the state of Wyoming that is still controlling 
that says that speculation of water rights is not permitted. It is completely contrary to public policy, public interest. And so if there is an ulterior motive, then it should not be something that the state engineer is holding in the back of his mind that, well, they might be putting water to a very marginal use, but in a couple of years they'll be able to sell it to frack and it's really going to benefit the state. That is the purest definition of speculation. Sure, there might be legal precedent, but attorney William Heiser argues that the courtroom isn't the place to set such policy. This forum is not the place to challenge those rules. That's down the hall and up the stairs if you want to change the rules. If you want to change the law in the state of Wyoming, that's where you need to go, not here. Down the hall and up the stairs is the state legislature. Last year, the state of Colorado tried and failed to pass anti-speculation legislation. If it didn't fly in Colorado, I can tell you this, it definitely ain't going to fly in Wyoming. Anne McKinnon, the water historian we heard from earlier, says the state of Wyoming has become more reluctant to change its water laws over the years. Maybe because it's here that Western water law was originally developed, including the very idea of public waters, that water belongs to us all and how it's used must benefit us all. Wyoming people very justifiably are very proud of their water law system. It was a an important system and a sort of a key system that others followed in the 1890s. But people also often tend to also think that it is practically uh, tablets written in stone. Anne says with the onset of climate change, those stone tablets may need some revising. At this rate, scientists say in the next 50 years, the Ogallala Aquifer is expected to be depleted by 70%. That'll make a few people wealthy in the short term, but without groundwater feeding streams and wetlands, America's breadbasket will go dry and will release what's left of all that stored grassland carbon into the atmosphere. As we've heard, grasslands are the most threatened ecosystem in the world. One of the great strengths of Wyoming water law is that it has changed over time to accommodate the needs of our society in this particular place as that society has changed over 130 years and that it will need to keep on changing. But to make such changes, it'll take some education. A lot of people, including policymakers, have screwy ideas about groundwater that collects in aquifers. They think it's separate from surface water, like water in streams, when really, it's all part of the same system. They're basically the same thing, you know. That's Olivia Miller, a hydrologist with the U.S. Geological Survey in Utah. Water, whether it's snow or rain, falls on the land surface. Some of it runs off into streams, and some of it seeps through soils and then enters aquifers you know, in, in the subsurface. Olivia says people also seem to think that groundwater is safe from the evaporation caused by climate change. She says, nope, not even kinda. Groundwater is vulnerable to climate change because the whole water cycle is so closely linked to the climate system. The water cycle, it's just its that precipitation and temperature that is our climate system. Olivia says in the West, people tend to think of groundwater as an unlimited resource. People turn to groundwater more, so they use it more. 
but it's, it's sort of like your savings account where you, you put a little bit in at a time and then you kind of can draw on it when you need to. But if you just start to rely on that, it, 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 it'll eventually run out. So yeah, in the West, we've come to have a very unhealthy relationship with water. Coming up next, we'll hear from someone with big ideas about how to heal that relationship. If you are liking what you're hearing, and actually, hey, even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover the modern West so that we can keep bringing you stories about the evolving identity of the American West. Hey, thanks, y'all. This season of the Modern West is sponsored by the Argosy Foundation, committed to supporting diverse people and programs that make society a better place to live. More information is available at argosyfnd.org. The Argosy Foundation is a philanthropic organization focused on leveraging the impact of people and organizations working to make the world a better place, employing creative and entrepreneurial approaches that help people to help themselves. Argosy works to ensure that their partners become successfully self-sustaining. The intention of this work is to solve systemic problems, build teams and communities, create replicable solutions and inspire others to contribute in their own ways. To learn more about this mission and the Argosy's work, visit argosyfnd.org. We tend to think of water as a thing, and we have it, and it's here, and maybe I have some, and you don't have some, or maybe I want what you have, and we fight about it. You might recognize that voice. It's Judith Schwartz the ranching optimist who believes cows can save the planet that we heard from a couple episodes back. She also wrote a book called Water in Plain Sight about how to heal the water cycle. To do that, she says, we need to start thinking of water as a verb instead of a noun. It's really useful to understand that water, how water is always in motion. It's like a shapeshifter. It's changing form. So um, and it's it's so it's always on the move. And what's really interesting is that it's driven by life. You know, it's not static. Judith says water is always in motion, but the best is when it's in slow motion. Okay, so we've built our cities and uh, so that we get rid of wastewater as quickly as possible. But in nature, water moves slowly. One of the reasons that it does move slowly is that we've got a lot of critters that are building pathways like earthworms and dung beetles that are creating pathways for the water to slowly meander and therefore doesn't rush off and create damage. Beavers also help slow down the movement of water, causing streams to slither all over the land, spreading moisture around. But pouring 4,700 acre feet of groundwater onto bare dirt like the Lurwicks could decide to do? That's what you call fast water. Reba's a slow water evangelist too. Slow it down, spread it out, and sink it in. 
You don't want to let water get off your place. When you see water running anywhere, it means the hydrological cycle is broken. Any People are just accustomed to seeing water run off fields and stuff, but that's bad, that's wrong. We cannot let it run off the field. It has to go in the ground. Both Judith and Reba say protecting a minimum flow coming from groundwater and filling streams is crucial because of what it does for the climate. Judith again. If we step back, and we ask ourselves, how does the earth manage heat? We will see that largely it's through water-based processes, through transpiration, through the upward movement of water through plants that is a cooling mechanism and how that, that water vapor rises up and becomes clouds and how those clouds are reflecting sunlight and this whole choreography of natural processes. We know how we can restore any kind of landscape and pivotal to that restoration is restoring the water cycle. We have to save our creeks. We have to save our wetlands. I don't know, but whatever's left is sacred and has to be saved. Up at the headwaters of Lodgepole Creek, Reba looks east toward Cheyenne and imagines this dwindling creek flowing down the mountain into water treatment plants and out into people's homes, filling their bathtubs, boiling their spaghetti. It's not just the energy industry that's slavering for water. Cheyenne is growing rapidly. And the Lurwicks could decide to sell their water to the municipality, too. Reba understands that need. Water, Reba says, it is life. We are water. Well, water represents emotion. It represents the heart. It's in our bodies. It makes up, when you're young, I think you're like 80% water. And as we get older, the water content of our bodies gets less. Really? <laughs> uh-huh. I think at our age, we'd probably be down to like 70% or 65. <laughs> you feel like, and that and that kind of allows you to communicate well, with, yeah, the through water, water. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can, t- just uh, like us going out and lo- like talking about the creek. What beauty for the land. We are acknowledging the land. We're giving respect to the land. We're talking about the positive attributes of the creek and the animals on the creek. And then think about that. You bless the water in that way. And then the people in Cheyenne are gonna drink that water and that gives them a blessing. Yeah, we are all part of the water cycle. But for right now, Reba just wants to get the state of Wyoming to recognize a small piece of that cycle, the interconnection of groundwater and surface water. First of all, the water law needs to recognize that the groundwater and the surface water are one. We have to stop looking at this as if it's somehow two different things. Somehow that became the thought in Wyoming, and it's just not true. There's no science to support that thought. That's just one of Reba's big goals. She also wants to get lawmakers to make speculation illegal so people can't hoard water for future uses they aren't honest about. And to set a minimum base flow to protect streams. And Reba's not just dreaming. She's taking action. In this year's legislative session, she and Alan and their neighbors— went down the hall and up the stairs and proposed a bill to lawmakers that would make the guy applying to drill groundwater responsible for proving it wouldn't hurt other water users. Right now, it's the people who are trying to stop the drilling who are paying for lawyers and experts to prove these wells will drain their creeks. Alan Kirkbride, 
who showed me his ranch, was especially proactive. He sat before lawmakers and made his case. The request is, we felt, it's so excessive we just had to respond and uh, contest it. The Wyoming state engineer, Brandon Gebhardt, also testified, but against the bill. He said passing it would make it too easy for ranchers to submit complaints about groundwater drilling applications. These contested cases aren't easy, they aren't cheap, and they take a lot of our staff time. Brandon Gebhardt declined to comment on a pending case. But thanks to Allen and Reba and the other ranchers, Wyoming lawmakers did pass that law, putting the burden of proof on applicants to show their wells wouldn't injure other water users. It's no anti-speculation law, but it's something. Sadly, Allen didn't live to see it signed into law. At 73, he died in his sleep reading a book on geology, just days before the final vote. Reba says the stress from this case might have been too much. She says Alan will be sorely missed. He gave a lot to this water case, and he was a motor. He did the work of 10 men, so we're really going to need a lot of people to step up in his place. But it might be hard for other ranchers to step up. Most of them aren't so young either. In fact, the average age of ranchers these days is 55 years old. And yet it's these farmers and ranchers fighting on the front lines of the climate crisis in courtrooms and committee rooms all over the West. The passage of the bill did not slow down the Lurwick's application for those high-capacity wells. The state engineer has continued moving forward to grant them. Reba says this case in southeast Wyoming should serve as a warning across the West as droughts and aquifer depletion worsen. They want to go in that direction of unbridled rape and extraction of our resources. That's where we're going with all this. We can't allow that. I mean, as a society. Reba plans to keep fighting to protect her beloved creeks and the aquifer supplying them with water all the way to the Supreme Court, if that's what it takes. We just have one more chapter left in our story about the great individualist. We're going to push back on that term, individualist. As ranching has evolved, it's become much more of a community effort. Fleeing Antonito, fleeing your home, fleeing your community is not success. That success is returning to your community and hopefully assisting others with their own liberation, with their own resilience, with their own pride with their own heroic imperative. Next time on the show, we return to Antonito on the Colorado-New Mexico border to see how the Abeda family is refusing to let the Vaquero lifestyle disappear. How are you seeing ranchers step up as climate warriors across the West? Join the conversation on social media at Modern West Pod. I'm Melody Edwards. Tennessee Watson is our story editor. Our sound designer is Charles Fournier. Noah Greenspan is assistant producer. Anna Rader is our marketing coordinator. Thanks also for help from Sarah Ann Leverett and Diane Berner. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media. One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. 
So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.